Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Turning your Bibles this morning to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, anytime I get up here, I'm thinking about if I forgot to announce anything. Uh, but the, really the only thing going on right now that you need to know about is coming home Sunday, um, which is September. Everybody say September 29th. All right. And before the end of the day, listen, we have these uh, invite cards up here. And I'm going to have a couple teenagers come help me in a minute, pass these out before the end of service. But listen, I want you to take three, four, five of these invite cards and I want you to give them to someone you want to be in church with on September 29th. Maybe they have never been to church. Maybe um, they don't have a church home. Maybe they've been out of church for the summer and it's time to get back. Whatever it is, we want to push people towards Christ and, um, and, and having a seat in one of these pews on September 29th is a great way to do that. Okay, so September 29th, Nehemiah chapter 2, am I forgetting anything else? I am? What's that? Oh, yeah, 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 we're going to start some group studies in October, I'll get that towards the end. Um, I do want to recognize, I I remember what I was going to do, we fed some first responders this morning, Uh, some of them didn't get to hang around, but if you are a first responder, police, EMS, firefighter, would you stand so we could honor you today and your, your sacrifice to the community, yeah, yeah. Firefighter and police all in the house today. Um, and, and we've got some who, who aren't with us uh, this morning who are out, but um, so thankful for what they do and the sacrifices that they make. We're in the third week of a series walking through Nehemiah. And I'll recap what we've been talking about, but I want to start by just telling you a story. And this story is back from when I was a kid's pastor. So before I was your senior pastor, before I was your music and youth guy, I was someone else's music and youth guy, and, and I was also a kid's pastor uh, several years ago. Several years ago, and I worked with kids, and I worked with all types of kids, all ages. How many of you like kids? Let me start there, okay? How many of you want to kill most of them, but you tolerate them? Yeah, okay. Every parent in the house said amen. We'll get there. If you've been around kids, you know they develop differently. Every kid develops differently. Um, When I was a kid's pastor, Macy was a little baby, okay? So all Macy did was cry and laugh and poop in her pants. I mean, that's all. 
That's all she did. She was an infant. She was a newborn. And then, um, then I had a really good friend as a, as a kids minister. His name was Dougie. Coolest name ever. Dougie was like three years old. One of the, one of the, I had gotten to know Dougie a little bit, and he was, he was a cool kid. But I remember a day our relationship went to the next level. I'm, I'm in the nursery. I'm helping out with some toddlers, just covering a room while the toddler teacher was out. And I hear this yell from the bathroom. And it's Dougie. And Dougie says, help, help. And I go in, and there is Dougie. He's, his hands and feet are on the floor, and he says, I need someone to wipe me. I said, Dougie, we're friends, brother. But not if you keep doing this. Now, he could talk. He could do all kinds of things. He was, he was smart. He was a really funny, tender-hearted kid. Um, he could put his own pants on. I mean, he was proud of him. And then there was his brother, TJ. I'll tell you about his brother, TJ. TJ was in kids' church, so he was in the elementary age, um, and TJ was a child I got to lead to the Lord. Um, TJ, uh, just an exceptional, and he was, he was a little older than Dougie by a few years, and he could read, and he could feel um, things You know how some kids, some kids just don't feel things, and, and maybe they feel things awry. Like uh, when you take something from them, they feel angry. Um, whereas when you get older, you still feel angry, you just don't show it. Um, but TJ was older, he was, he's a really good kid. He would even serve. He was old enough that he would stand like at the door, and he would open the door for people on Sundays and hand them a bulletin. Now, I've worked with all these age groups all along this, this ladder of development. Now, the reason this is important is we are all in a state of development physically and spiritually. And the reason I wanted to study Nehemiah is because Nehemiah, right here at the get-go, gives us some building blocks for what Christian maturity looks like. Um, and so that's what I, I want to kind of dive in today. Uh, but we should all be developing. Now, some of the kids I worked with had developmental issues. They, some of them read a little slower than others. Um, I've got uh, a friend, one of my very best friends. His daughter's about six months behind reading. And so you see developmental issues physically. But then I believe God works all that out and has them there for a reason. So every child I know that was maybe behind a kid the same age, God had them there for a reason. And they all worked through it. Um, uh, but one of my very best friends, his, his child is having not only reading issues, but they, they, they were battling with some stuttering and, and all kinds of things. But listen. The reason it's important to correlate this is because you are not just flesh and bone. You're not just maturing physically. Did you know your ears never stop growing? Yeah, everybody, look. Have you ever been to a funeral? Uh, maybe this is inappropriate, but have you been to a funeral and look in there and say, boy, his ears are big. 
Look, y'all, y'all have all thought it and y'all up here judging me, but you've thought it. It's because they never stop growing. Your nose never stops growing. Your body never stops growing. But in the church world, I just want to lay this in front of you. It seems like all we're after is new birth. And then it's almost like we shove a pacifier in your mouth if you're a pacifier user. And that's it. It's like the, the totality of Christian life is just to get you saved. Um, but there's more. So listen, if you've given your life to Christ and you've come this morning and you're like, what's next? There is something next, okay? And so anyway, um, let's recap a little bit where we've been. So Nehemiah in chapter 1 um, we find out that we should be marked by empathy and compassion. Nehemiah gets this terrible news. The walls have been destroyed. The city is in ruins. Your people, who he has no connection with really other than heritage. He's 800 miles away in a palace living the life as a cupbearer for the king. So, he's got no real connection right up front, but they, he gets this terrible news and we find out it takes the wind out of him. Takes the wind out of him. And his response was he felt. It, the Bible says he wept and prayed and mourned for days. He, this news destroyed him internally, emotionally. And we found out that this wasn't just something God was describing. But it's something. It's not just a, something in history that we learned about. It's something that God wants for us as God's people. It's prescriptive for you and I that we should be marked by empathy and compassion. God's people should be marked by that. And that we should step in and not away. That look, when we see somebody's in a mess. Now listen, you you may have had a different experience. I've been to churches where they stepped away. Life got a little messy. They didn't know how to handle it, so they stepped out. The Christian should be marked by stepping in with empathy and compassion. This is what Nehemiah did. He went to the king. He said, can I go help rebuild? And, um, and then last week we talked about prayer. Because Nehemiah, right here in the first and second chapter, he has this big block of prayer where he's pleading with God. His faithful, covenant-keeping God, he's pleading with him. Hey, Remember your covenant with us. And then he's got these little rifle shot prayers. And we talked about the fact that you need both. Hey, listen, you cannot be married on just rifle shot prayers or rifle shot communication. If me and Kirsten only talked in passing, you think our marriage would last? No. As a matter of fact, I've seen some marriages go under because of it. You need both. You need time together, and that prayer gives us boldness when we understand who we're talking to. Last week, we talked about the fact that our prayer life should change. Listen, if you're here today and you profess to be a Christian, your prayers have to be more than checking a box in the morning. We have to pray as if we understand and see the God of all creation that we're talking to. It will change how you pray. And it will change how you walk. All of a sudden you'll walk with more 
boldness. But you need both. You need dedicated time in prayer, but you also need little rifle shot prayers throughout the day, which most of us can get off. But the goal, everybody say the goal. The goal is to become increasingly more like Jesus. Okay? It's not just about new birth. Um, and listen, when we talk about growing in Christ, when we talk about these, like becoming more like Jesus, it's something oftentimes we're unaware of. Um, if you, you can sit here, and I, can, I could bring Macy in here, or, uh, and if you're a parent, you can probably attest to this. It's not like you can stare at your child and just watch. You don't see the growth, right? No. It's just you, one day you wake up, and all of a sudden, what? Why is she so sassy? Well, that's what I say anyway. Why she got such a big mouth? Where did that come from? So listen, if this morning you're like, I haven't seen any progress, let me tell you something. There will be fruit, but it's oftentimes something you can't see in the day-to-day. It's a constant working of the Holy Spirit in and through you. And so Nehemiah gives us these blocks, and um, we're going to read here. If, if you'll, um, right here in chapter 2, verse 6. Listen, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. I want you to grab that. I want you to understand that what we're talking about today is uh, the Word of God. If you want to pull it up on your phone, your iPad, whatever you've got, and just read along with me. Chapter 2, verse 6 is where we'll start out. The king with the queen. Now, let me tell you what's just happened before we get in. Nehemiah has just asked the king, can I go back and rebuild these walls? So, verse 6. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple's fortress and for the city walls. And for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Let me pause for a second. Saying the gracious hand of God was upon him is an understatement. It's an understatement. The king who had conquered the very city we're talking about is now not only letting... Nehemiah go refortify this city, but he's giving him all the materials to do so. I don't want you to miss this. Listen, when God has a plan and you look at it and say, ha, this is impossible. There's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. He makes a way. He makes a way. He convinced the Lord's favor was so on Nehemiah's life that the king who conquered the city is now allowing somebody to refortify it under his watch. 
We serve a powerful God. Let's continue. When I came, verse 9, to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letter to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when, uh, let, me, let, me, let me say something. I'm about to read a bunch of names over the next few verses that are not common in today's diction. There is a strong possibility I might slaughter some of these. Just being transparent. But when Sanballat, the Hornonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. He's already got enemies. Listen, verse 11. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. And so after dark, and picture this, after dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. I'm going to make an assumption here. The dung gate might not have been a popular place to live in Jerusalem. Got no, I couldn't find anything on the dung gate, so I'm just going to be honest. I don't know. But just by the name, I'm assuming it's not somewhere you just, hey, how's things going over at the dung gate? Keep moving. If you don't read the Bible this way, I don't know how you make it. So we're at the dung gate. To inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Verse 14. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kindred Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. Keep reading. Verse 16. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God, everybody say gracious, had been on me in my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed, uh, scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? And are you rebelling against the king, they ask? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start building this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Now listen to these names. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, and which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. 
People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zachar, son of Emery. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beam, set its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Merimoth, is that going to be your next son's name? Anybody? Okay. Merimoth, son of Uriah and grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of wall. Beside him was Mishalem, son of Berechiah and grandson of Meshezebel, and then Zadok, son of Bana. Next were the people from Tekoa through their leaders, refused to work with the construction supervisors. Now, let me tell you the temptation this morning. Okay, hold on. Wake up. I just want to bring everybody back to attention. It is tempting to read what we just read. And there's a reason we read it. There's a temptation to read it and overlook it and just say, oh, it's just a bunch of names. Just a bunch of names. It's just history. But let me tell you something. Jeremiah, Nehemiah is leading, um, he is leading us into some building blocks that I want to lay out for you today. And that is that we have new birth, okay? We call that salvation. And then we find here in Nehemiah that after new birth, there should be these feelings which should push us to prayer which should push us to action. This was the maturity of Nehemiah. So check this out. Nehemiah went from just a feeling, like he felt the empathy. Maybe you're good at that. And most of us will take it from empathy and compassion, and we'll pray about it. But what I don't want you to miss here is there is a motion from empathy, from feeling, to prayer, to action. The Christian walk, the Christian faith is more than just feeling and praying. It should move us to action. And that's what it did for Nehemiah. It not only moved him to action, but it moved him to action within community. Everybody say community. So we shouldn't just be people who say, oh, I feel for you, man. Hey, brother, I feel for you. My heart breaks for you. Can I pray with you? And it stops. Now, sometimes that's all we can do. Can I, it's okay. Sometimes that's all you can do. But sometimes it's not okay to stop there. Um, I've been in situations where people have come to me with issues and said, um, now, can I be frank? Everybody say frank. Some of you might just want me to be Carl. <laughs> Don't tell that joke again. No more. A lot of us don't feel and say we'll pray and then we don't. I've been guilty. Okay? So you know what I've started doing? I just pray with them right then. Because look, it's going to overflow. I got a lot going on. But it's important to me, for me to pray. I know that's what God's calling me to in my maturity. In growing, being more like Jesus. So I, I pray with people on the spot now. If they ask for prayer, um, unless it's a crowd on Sundays out in the foyer, it can get kind of crazy after service. But listen, most of us are guilty of just saying it and not doing it. 
And I, w- I want us to be different than that. Is that, is that okay? I want, I want for you the growth and the power and the experience that comes with it. Many of us question and wonder why we never experience God, but we never practice anything he tells us to do. <laughs> so, so how do you expect to experience God if you never get on the ride? <sighs> okay, I'm getting excited. Feeling should push us to prayer, which should push us to action. Now, this process that we call maturing, okay, this process by which we mature spiritually is called discipleship. So that's what we're talking about today. That Nehemiah points us to it's not just enough to feel, it's not just enough to pray, I have to move to action. And my life should constantly be maturing and pushing forward in Christ. So um, the question is, how does this happen? How do I get discipled? Great question. It's my next, it's my next point. The foundation of discipleship happens in small rooms, not big rooms. So, just to keep it 100 with you, if, if your discipleship goes as far as 11.15 this morning, and you are not interacting with Christians outside of here, um, and not just interacting like, hey, I had you over for a barbecue and we ate together, but you're not leaning into each other scripturally and in prayer, don't be confused as to why you're not growing. Um, the foundation of it doesn't happen here today. The foundation of it happens outside of here. And I'll tell you why. Because discipleship happens most, and this is a very vulnerable place, but when you are fully known. So when you're being known and knowing others is when discipleship happens. Um. And that's a very uncomfortable place. I don't know if you've allowed people inside to talk, um, but in the Bible where it says where two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst, you know that's a discipleship scripture. You know that's about church discipline. That's about rubbing against one another so we look more like Jesus. Let me tell you something. There's another scripture in Proverbs that tells us that we should be like iron sharpens iron, right? Right? You've heard that? You've seen it on a t-shirt, coffee mug. Have you ever sharpened anything? How many of you have ever sharpened anything? Okay. Some of you need to sharpen your sense of humor this morning. I'll just be honest. Okay. Okay. All right. The sharpening process is violent. I own a landscaping company, and for many, many years now, I spend a lot of time sharpening blades, mower blades. And you get this grinder out, and you get this piece of steel, and you run it back and forth, and chunks of steel come flying off of it. There are sparks. It gets hot. There's smoke. I've been burned a couple times in the process. I've been cut because it gets so sharp. Listen, iron sharpening iron is not a pretty process. It sounds like a real pretty verse. Great to put on a coffee mug. But to apply it means I have to get close enough to you that we rub together. And that's not always pretty. It's not always pretty. Now, it's life on life 
not pulpit on pew. You get what I'm saying? I can preach my heart out to you. You're only going to remember 10% of what I said today. Did you know that? I get up every Sunday. 52 almost, you know, 50 Sundays a year. You only remember 10%. You know where you grow? I grow because I hang out with Woody Jones. Now, some of you might be shocked by that. He pushes me to be a better man, to look at God more, to make more of Jesus. I have a staff here, Luke, Kirsten, Ian, Alyssa, elders and and deacons here that I interact with on a regular basis so they rub against me and make me better. And so today, if you are outside of this gospel community where you're rubbing with each other on a regular basis, your blade might be dull. Your Christian walk might not be exciting. And you may find yourself wanting more not one, and wondering why. And wondering why. And, and I guess the most uncomfortable piece of this is that when you're up close with somebody, they see it all. Especially if you're with them long enough. My wife will tell you. We've been together eight years and some change, maybe. Right around there. She has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, so has her family. Some of you have seen me at my... My mom's here. 31 years she's known this bag of bones. The beautiful thing about this book is that the gospel frees us to not pretend we are more than we are. Because look, some of y'all are pros. I'm going to be honest with you. You come here on Sunday. Hey, pastor. Praise God. I'm glad to be here. I'm vertical. You know, I get that. Um, I love that one. God's good, man. And that's as deep as it goes. And so it's very easy in church. So hear me. It's very easy in church. And and you do this at school. So if you're a teenager, you're in school, uh, college, young adult. Listen, it's very easy to throw on a facade. You're pros at it. And this Facebook, social media world will post what we want, you know, with bunny ears. I'm going to take one later just to show you. It makes my skin look great. I don't know if you knew skin, you know, bunnies have great skin, but they do. They do. And they have a weird voice as well. We are pros. Listen to me. You are a pro at masking what is really going on in your heart and mind. And we are not good. We are pro pretenders. And what the gospel frees us up to do and what gospel community should look like is such closeness with one another that we see the ugly, we see the messy, we see the the darkness, and we step into it and we wrap our arms around you. 
Gospel community is often messy and hard. True gospel community. I'm not talking about whatever, you know, some of us are, are on the reel this morning, but if I'm just going to be 100% a, a transparent with you, most of you will walk out of here today having not been real with anyone. And it breaks my heart. I grew up in a church where it was all about the front. I mean, it's all, you know, we dressed our best and we got ready. This isn't to say you shouldn't dress up for church or anything like that. But what I am saying is we are trained to cover it up. Macy does it. And look, it's not, it, this, is, this is just from the, our, within the inside of our hearts this wickedness comes out. Because the devil knows if he can get you to pretend like you're okay, he knows the discipleship he'll pull away from you. I get anxious. When our finance, can I, can I, be, can I, can I be clear with you? My, when our finances are tight, my wife will tell you, I get bent out of shape. When finances are my trigger, I can, I can take life's storms like a champ. Look, you will never find a guy that can take hits like this guy. I'm telling you. I'm not saying that to be prideful. I'm just saying I've taken a few. I know. But when my finances get tight, I get angry. I get upset. I can be short. My wife's seen it. Macy's seen it. I've had to go to my wife. I've had to go to my child and lay in bed at night and say, Macy, listen, Daddy, Daddy doesn't always get it right, and I'm sorry. Daddy needs Jesus too, right? But listen, that's where growth occurs. In fact, look at this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to what this says. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with who? With each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. And I love this part. Listen. If we confess, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place. In our hearts. Do you see what this just said? It said if we're really loving God and we want to live in the light, we, we do it with each other. We can't skip over this each other. The gospel frees us up to be more, uh, to, to not have to pretend to come in here saying, Almost regurgitating these really beautiful things that we've never experienced. And I want more for you. I don't want church to just be your Sunday checkoff. 
I don't want this relationship with God. And you've come in here today. And, and, and look, I get it. A lot of us are tired. It's been a tough week. It'd be so easy to check out this morning and just say, hey, just another Sunday. Figure it out later. Do not miss out on this chance today to live in full gospel community where you will become more and more like Christ. Gospel community is more than Sunday deep. Right? We've talked about this. Um, I've got a friend that lives in Tennessee. And uh, his name's Richard. We talk from time to time. We interned together in college. So we decided, we, we wanted this gospel community. So he said, he came to me one day and he said, hey, bro. Man, I just, I just, you know, I'm trying to work things out in my own personal life. And, and I'm trying to do better. And I just, I just want you to hold me accountable. I just want you to hold me accountable. Well, then he opens the door. Right, So now, whenever I see him and he's deciding to play Halo on his Xbox instead of read the scripture as he has planned. I said, well, one time I just unplugged his Xbox and hit it because um, I thought that would work better. Um, but accountability is a part of this gospel community. So it means that you and I are in a relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ that I should be able to look at you and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. I think you're headed down a bad road. And look, which, all, all of you just, all of a sudden, you got defensive just then. I'm just, I'm saying it from up here. And you're like, who's he to talk to me? I, I saw it. Y'all all had this knee-jerk reaction. Like, don't, you don't need to know my business. It's my business, pastor. This is the church culture. That has created a place where you can't be you and you feel like you have to pretend when you get here. And that is the exact opposite of what Christ wants for us. And let me tell you something. If your gospel community is just Sunday deep, it will not, everybody say not, it will not sustain you when the winds and storms of life come. When you're in the hospital, and you have, you've come on Sunday, sure, but you run out the door as soon as service is over. You don't come to anything during the week. You don't try and connect with a small group. You don't serve anywhere. You're just in and out as quick as you can because you're almost scared somebody's going to see you for who you are. Let me tell you something. You are welcome here. And you are looking at a man who is only standing here today because of the goodness and graciousness of a, of a merciful father. What's that? What's that old song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You remember that song? But listen, it won't sustain you when your marriage is having a hard time. When you're in high school, you're a young adult, and you're trying to figure out your identity, who you are, and try and like, frame up so, so you have some sturdiness to you, figure it all out. Listen, if you're trying to do that with a bunch of people who are pretending, and look, everybody outside here, 
Everybody outside the walls. Even in, This isn't just an in-the-walls issue. If you think your friends outside of here are being more real with you than the people here, you're, you're sadly mistaken. I've been in the world a very, very long time. And in the landscaping world nonetheless. Listen. The vulnerability and the growth that you can incur in these in this place, in gospel community, will make you take a deep breath. Because look, I don't have to stand up here and perform for you. I don't. I don't need to stand up here and, and get you to pat me on the back because I know who I am. I know what Christ has saved me from. I see where I am and I know who he is. Oh. Oh, that we would stop pretending. Last point here. Gospel community starts with finding a place to belong. You can, with all your might, you can, tr- you can try to go with this thing alone. You can, you can try. But listen to me, if you don't feel you are any closer or more intimately um, knowledgeable of Christ today than you were when you were first, when you, let me ask you something. Do you remember when he first saved you? For those who were saved, do you remember? Some of us don't. Can I tell you that? Some, Some of us don't. Some of us, over a course of time, all of a sudden we found ourselves desiring to obey the Lord. Um, it's especially true for those who grew up in church. If you grew up in church, you might have said a prayer, uh, but your life never reflected it. You get what I'm saying? But then all of a sudden you desire to obey God and live after him. If today you find yourself in a place where you want more, there's growth to be had. There's always more in Christ. I don't care if you're a newborn. Your church is, maybe church is new to you. Maybe you've been going to church your entire life. Maybe you fall into the vintage category. Listen to me. L- listen to me, my vintage folks. He's not done maturing you yet. Did you know that? Your ears are not the only thing that should keep growing. Your walk with Christ should become more intimate, more close, more real. And I would be remiss today if I didn't invite you to jump in. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for this family we have here. I am a better Christian today than I was three years ago when I came here. You know why? Because I've been rubbing shoulders with you guys. And I don't want us to ever get to a place where we're we're just comfortable with it, you know? (laughs) I'm good. I got my fire insurance. 
God has so much more for you. I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you're at in that development. There is always more. And look, I, I, my heart's desire is that I continue taking steps towards him until the day he returns. And look, that, that comes through the Holy Spirit. So, so some of you today, I'm preaching and you, you're like, yeah, this is not clicking with me. The Bible guarantees us that his word never returns void. So all I got to do is preach it, you know. That's, that's all I got to do. And Nehemiah lays it out for us that our feelings should move us to prayer. Hear me. Should move us to action. If you are not living in active faith, you're missing a step. You're missing a step. You're missing a step. Hey, hear me this morning. Don't leave here and, and, and get back in your car and go through Monday through Saturday and, and, and not be taking any steps. In the back this morning, we have three sign-ups. Three sign-ups. Two are to join a small group. If you are interested in this kind of raw gospel community where you can be you. Doesn't that sound good? Just you being you. Not pretending you're more than you are. Maybe it's scary. It might be scary for some of you. But if you're interested in this type of gospel community where you can rub, where there's going to be a little friction, might get a little messy, I want you to sign up to join a small group. Today. Today. So if you're looking for a step, some action to take, this is it. I want you to sign up for a small group. They're going to start in October. Now, there's a third list out there. If you say today, man, I would love to start a small group. I have a heart for young moms or I have a heart for men or I just have a heart to get together with people and I want to offer my home there's a sign up there for you as well. Because I think God's calling some of you to that. So my question for you today is, what is he calling you to? What's your next step? Maybe it's a dad that decides to lead his family better. Maybe it's a mom saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to lean in to my family. Maybe, maybe it's you today and and you'd say, yeah, I, I, I want to open my home so that gospel community can start to happen in our church. We're going to pray. And I want you to ask God what your next step is. And then when we're done, if you haven't filled out a Connect card, I want you to write that next step on that Connect card and turn it in. And if today you have been looking for a place to belong where you don't have to pretend anymore. This is it. You found it. You found a home where we just let God be God and he does everything else through us. So as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, Luke is going to sing. I'm up here if you need prayer this morning. Um, 
If you want to receive Christ, you want to know what this is all about, I'm up here this morning. But would you just take some time and just ask God about your next step? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.